Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everyone. It's Stuart Crawford here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and it's just uh, Friday before our Thanksgiving, and we're looking forward to having a good long weekend uh, up here in Canada. I'm a little hesitant, though, about really long week because we got some snow coming uh, for at least our area of the country here. So we're going to have a, you know finish the weekend on a positive note, and we're going to talk about some after-hours stuff here and what we're doing in the in the business to uh, you know prepare. You know what are we doing today, best practice-wise after hours, and we're going to have a good uh, panel here joining us in a few minutes, to kind of talk about that stuff. But you know, let's just look at the weekend review because we've had a busy week in the world of small business IT, and we had the the SMB Nation conference just wrapped up uh, last weekend in Seattle. That was a very good uh, show uh, that Harry Brelsford put on down at uh, the Bell uh, Harbor Conference Center right there on the waterfront in Seattle. Lots of good friends. We've got the chance to meet up with uh, a few of the people that we've had on this program before and uh, just have a good little uh, chitty chat with some folks and uh, and talk about the, the future of the small business IT world as we, uh, as we move into these uh, rocky waters. Uh, you know, everything seems a little... Uh, a little unvolatile, I guess is the word to look for. You know, we haven't seen a Dow this low in a long, long time, and a lot of uh, panic hitting them in the marketplace. And we're having a chat uh, this weekend. I think it's important to staying calm and just making sure uh, we ride this wave out. And uh, you know, and, and the good thing is, a lot of things will improve. It always does. So uh, our topic for today, though, we want to get back on topic is uh, after-hour support. It's something that's a little near and dear to me. Is how do we how do we maintain balance uh, with our employees, making sure that they have the life that we want them to have, and uh, we have a profitable business, and we take care of the needs of our clients. And uh, we're joined uh, by a good friend of mine uh, from Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, Mike Ritzema, who is the president of I3 Business Solutions out there in um, in Michigan. And uh, Mike and I have been chatting about after hours and uh, what he's doing in his business. And we're hopefully going to join by a few others here in the next little while. We're just trying to track one down. But uh, Mike, good uh, good afternoon to you. What are you What are you guys doing out there in uh, in Grand Rapids these days? And Stuart, yeah, Mike Ritzema here. Can you repeat the question? Sorry, what, what's just ha- what's happening in your market? What's going on out there? How how's business for you? Oh my gosh, do you have an hour? Uh, let me let me tell you a story. I mean, we're here in the state of Michigan, the Rust Belt, and it's literally rusting. I mean, the automotive industry in the state of Michigan, uh, which is um, very union oriented, is deteriorating, and basically it's heading south to uh, Tennessee area, and it's heading you know overseas. So. Uh, our business built around you know, the ERP over the last couple decades uh, is going soft in that area, manufacturing and distribution ERP. How's that for some depressing news, Stuart? Is that what you're well, looking I, for from me? <laughs> well, you know, Mike, you know, we can have a whole other show just on the economic factors, and we probably will down the road here. So, I, well, let me net it out and, and just say, yeah, it was a rough ride in 07, but made some changes to the business, and even though – you know, the global economic situation you were talking about is a little bit tough right now. We've straightened it out, and we've got this thing going down the track in 08 and making money and very optimistic. 
Great. And, you know, Mike, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, spend a lot of time on the topic of economics, but, you know, it's probably something that's near and dear to all our hearts. And one of the things I, I just heard you say is you made some changes. And how important is that to, you know, having a successful business as we wrap up 2008 and, and with all the hype going around about all the, the volatility in the market, you know, preparing for 2009? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think there's two types of business owners. There's, you know, sales-type oriented owners, and then there's tech-type oriented owners. I'm a sales type, and, and I think the challenge is to look at the business as a business and make those tough decisions. My bias has been I can sell my way out of any problem. And, um, you know, well, frankly, last year we had a rough time doing that. So we had to take a hard look at the business and the economic climate in the state of Michigan and then uh, maybe in the U.S. or the world and make some tough decisions. I think it's, it's just imperative to continually look at the financial bit performance of the organization and then make decisions around that. And that's exactly what we did at the beginning of this year. So, Mike, the the topic for today is uh, after hours and what IT professionals are are doing. By the way, did you have any chance getting through to Jeff Wood? Yeah, uh, it may be a scheduling challenge there, Stuart. Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll work through it and see how it how it goes. Uh, for those people that want to you know call in and ask questions or maybe offer their input, uh, you can also dial in at area code six four six seven one six eight three seven two. And I just also initiated the chat window at uh, blogtalkradio.com for people to, uh, you know, get on the chat window and chat with us that way as well. So, uh, welcome, Mike. You know, I hope, uh, you know, let's just get right on, the, on our topic about after hours. Uh, we had some initial initial dialogue back and forth, well, probably about 30, 30 days ago or so around this topic, and you had some great, uh, you had a great story about a customer that you wanted to share this morning. Uh, and you know some of the things you've done with after-hour support, but let's just address the the big topic right now. Do you feel a lot of IT companies are are being bullied around provide, to providing after-hour support by their customers or their clients these days? Yeah, Stuart. I don't know if 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 it's so much bullied around as. Uh, part of the value proposition that we've put out there, and especially smaller organizations. So uh, certainly I think that many of us set the expectation that we're there for you, 7 by 24, just call us. Uh, so I wouldn't call it so much customer bullying as uh, perhaps uh, marketplace pressure or our own value proposition that we've put out there. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. So. I, I mean, I'm probably guilty of it just as much as everybody else. You know, whenever you need something, just give me a holler. We'll be here for you. I don't care what time of the day it is. You know, I have an interesting story, Mike. Is I used to uh, do a lot of technical work at one time in my career, and I was working for oh, this is two or three companies ago now. So I'm, you know, really dating myself. Probably ten, probably ten years ago, I was working for this firm, and I was working for a major bank, a uh, big investment bank, here in Calgary, and. Uh, you know, my wife was getting a little upset that I was working so many hours. You know, they, for some reason, spouses want equal amount of our time, which is well deserved. I'm uh, shocked. But you know, the the thing is, my I actually turned off my cell phone that night, just before PDAs and all that stuff. And uh, this bank tracked down my home number 
at 10 o'clock at night and got a hold of my wife. Well, that was the first uh, step, bad step number one. My wife answered the phone instead of me. And, you know, though she, she was she was upset at the, the invasion of the privacy that we've had at our, you know, our home for somebody demanding after-hours service when really I set the expectations. So do you have anything like that you can share with us, Mike, where, you know, lessons that you've learned from setting, maybe setting the expectation too high from day one? Yeah, well, specifically, we deal with a ticketing customer in town here that we've had a relationship with for six years, and uh, one of our tech specialists has a relationship going further back than that. So long history with the account, but certainly, you know, going back a decade, they have had access to cell phones and an expectation for 7 by 24 support, which is understandable. They're an online ticketing service organization. Uh, it's very important to them. And they also roamed around the state of Michigan doing uh, local fairs and so on, ticketing events like that. So it was a very demanding account. And we, you know, a decade ago, we weren't putting together service level agreements and um, the customer just had high expectations and they knew they could get a hold of our techs on the cell phone. And that was the problem is that um, a tech would actually go on vacation, if you can imagine that. Or occasionally they would be out of range or, uh, my gosh, maybe they even just got sick of it and turned their cell phone off. So uh, about every, you know, three to six months, the customer would just go on an absolute rant over a, a problem that happened in the evening or a weekend, and the tech wasn't there to answer the phone within nine minutes. And then they called somebody else and couldn't get an answer. And that is um, that was the customer service expectation that that existed, you know, for a long period of time. The customer just, you know, wanted our techs available seven by twenty-four at any time uh, to fix their problems, and and that was the challenge that we addressed through managed services and service level agreements. So, Mike, describe. Uh Describe what you would do, you know, in a, in a typical SLA with your clients to, you know, set that bar when it comes to after-hours service. What are you doing today differently than you did than what you did in the past? I think the um, well, we've always in our agreements, our standard statement of work and professional services agreement states that. Um, after hours, and for us, you know, we call a workday 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. I personally don't think it's uh, obtrusive to ask a tech to, you know, show up at an account at 7 a.m., uh, nor do I think it's, you know, obtrusive to work until 6 p.m. So after 6 p.m., we go to time and a half. Weekends and holidays, we're 2x. And we know we do a lot of upgrades and technology work <laughs> on the holidays and long weekends like your Thanksgiving coming up. So uh, that's standard in our agreement. The big change for us is, uh, or one big change for us is, we added emergency support to that. And that's part of the uh, service level offering that happens during the day from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. And that is, I can call and you'll drop everything and service my problem. And uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later. But that has a very specific uh, value offering. 
that, that I think has to be recognized in compensation and certainly from a value proposition standpoint. So the service level agreement goes into clearly defining response times, whether it's 15 minutes, two hours, or a day, depending on the severity of the uh, you know, customer requirement. So you have, a, um, you have a special rate for an emergency during the day then? Yeah, let me swerve sideways on that one, Stuart. Um, and that is that I think that a lot of technology companies that started with one smart technology person, we see them on Craigslist all the time, is, you know, in fact, I just saw an ad on Craigslist this morning that, you know, the Geek Squad's $175 an hour, we're only $50 an hour. And I've got some subcontractors I work with in this area, and they're on the street at about $85 an hour, $75, $85 with their handful of customers, and they help us out for a reasonable rate when required. And so I think a lot of companies start with that one tech and then two and then, you know, move to a one to five. And the value proposition is, you know, call us anytime. Here's our cell phone number. Heck, we don't even have a landline. Call our cell phone number. And so we start out that way with our value proposition saying, I'm here for you and I'm inexpensive and I'm smart and call me anytime and it, and it works really well. And so as we grow our business from one to five and then five to ten and ten to twenty, um, you know, we deal with some of these challenges. And so the value proposition uh, that, of service excellence that we're offering, uh, I think in some ways, and certainly we did it here uh, in a startup business, does it maybe by necessity, in some ways we devalue the very service that we're offering. And that service is delivering risk management. I will help you manage your business risk by making sure that your technology is stable. Secondly is emergency support. You can hire somebody for, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year to handle your technology. And yes, you can impose on them and call them anytime. Heck, you can call me anytime. And that has very specific value, especially if I've got a half a dozen or a dozen different technology people uh, with differing skills that you could not put in one individual. That is a clear value proposition. Um, you know, the ability to remote into technology and be uh, working on a problem and you know within minutes uh, looks like emergency support, looks like immediate on-site support to me. Uh, that value proposition extends to our best practices of technology excellence. It extends to uh, being able to put somebody on site or deal with it remotely. It extends to technology plan and planning um, and further. Um, but again, I think we devalue the emergency support by saying call us anytime and for the same rate, whether it's daytime or after hours, I'll just get to work. Sounds good. I think Jeff Wood has joined us now. Jeff, are you on the line now? Hey, Bob. How are you? Hey, buddy. How are you doing? Good to good to see you. Uh, better late than never. And sorry about uh, the delay there, but uh, good uh, good morning to you. It's still morning for uh, for you, I do believe. Uh, so Jeff Wood joins us from yeah, late in the morning. Jeff Wood joins us from uh, Tyler, Texas, and the president of Wood Networks. Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself here and. Um, 
I don't know how much of the conversation you've you've uh, listened to prior to uh, hopping on here. I've called about the last five minutes of it. Um, we're out here in East Texas. We're a company of about 18 to 20 folks. The majority of those are uh, billable support folks. Um, we're pr- probably pretty much like most folks listening, uh, like yourself. I know about your business uh, pr- in some detail. We, we pretty much do the same things. Uh, Microsoft partner and, and VAR offering uh, an array of services to the small and medium-sized business companies. So we we um, we certainly have some of the same struggles with uh, in terms of after-hour support that you and Mike have been discussing. Wonderful, and thank you, uh, thank you for joining us today. So, Jeff, what are what are you guys doing down in Texas there uh, to create that life-work balance with your employees and the demands of your customers? After, you know, after well, it, it, it's it's interesting because this is a very relevant topic for us right now. Um, it's funny how things work out because we're kind of going through a phase right now to where even though the economy is in the shape that it's in, um, we've been extremely blessed with with a, a lot of business. And um, we're, we're actually looking to expand and add engineers, uh, which is a good problem to have. But at the same time, when you talk about life balance and not not just not just after hour support, but daily support. You know, we're having some troubles right now with just workload, and and um, you know, keeping that balance like it should be for for our employees. That's that's one thing that's that's very important to me. But also servicing the client and taking care of their demands is also obviously very important. So we're we're basically um, you know having some discussions about. Making a commitment to having a, a help desk uh, to to free guys up where they can focus on on bigger projects and, and and bigger issues versus scurrying around to take care of the smaller things and, and the way we feel like that ties into the whole balance and the whole after hours thing is, is is we feel like if we can get that right then in terms of non emergencies and just work that's delayed and needing to be done just because of the volume of business we feel like that we that's a better plan of attack than just throwing more field support bodies at it and, and trying to get real strategic about help desk and remote support um, uh, and scheduling things out that way versus just being completely reactive. And I think it's very important to have that life work balance. And we're very fortunate, just like you are, Jeff, to be very blessed with a lot of great business opportunities coming in, big, you know, given the way the economy is. Uh, people are still beating down our doors, and I think that has something to do with, uh, you know, the service quality that we do. And you know what? I want to keep those good engineers that we have on staff that want to stay here and work. And I know with increased work demands and family needs, I don't want them burning out. I don't want them running around all over town on, uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night on the weekday. I'd rather have them working 8 to 5 and be more productive that way. Mike, you know, over maybe over to you guys in the in the rust belt there. Um, you know how important is it to to i3 business solutions that you know you keep your key engineers happy and it, it, would you stop uh, having them do after hours calls in order to keep them happy and on your team? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know I I think it is the challenge and certainly but we're committed to customer service and figuring out how to deliver that and maintain the work-life balance for our employees is, you know, part of the challenge of running the business. 
one of the ways that we do that is, and one of the ways, Jeff, that we try to manage that workload and not absolutely bury guys is to use subcontractors. And our philosophy years ago was we're going we're gonna to hire and then we'll go find the work to fill the volume uh, and service hours required. And in today's economic climate, at least in Michigan, we've chosen to say, you know, we're going to balance the workload with subcontractors. And when we do get swamped, we'll hire that next tech and bring them on staff. So that's how we try to manage that uh, volume of work, you know, burying our techs. Okay. Mike, I have, a question. I have a question in that regard, Mike. How do you, what policies or, or, or what um, what procedures do you follow in terms of, of working with subcontractors to, to ensure that you maintain that level of customer service that you've worked so hard to get to and the reputation you've worked so hard to build in your market? How, how do you how do you safeguard against a rogue subcontractor, if you will, and, and, and how do you measure, other than getting feedback from the customer, how do you ensure that that person's doing it your way and the customer's completely satisfied as a result of their work? Yeah, well, the way we've done that is uh, well, certainly we screen very closely, and we have two in the network area, we have two primary subcontractors that we use and they've got excellent reputation and communication skills with us and our customers. So, um, you know, we've got our basically two go-to guys, and it is the youth of America. They're 25, 26 years old, startup type of guys working out of their home, and uh, very trustworthy as far as they're not going to go in and take our customers. Uh, I've known these guys for years, so... Um, I, th I think it's based on a relationship. I think it's based on screening and uh, certainly an ongoing relationship of trust. So here's a question for you guys. Are, are either of you using Zenith's uh, offshore help desk? I think you might uh, be the silence. That's a no. Well, we – uh, go ahead, Jeff. Well, we are not using the offshore help desk. Right, and we are a Zenith partner, and no, we're not currently using, you know, extensively any. You mean the dial-in support or just remote tech support? The remote tech support. So if you have somebody blow up on your on your uh, exchange server in the middle of the night, they're feeling feeling that call instead of your engineer getting a call at you know six o'clock in the morning when the executive can't get his email on his mobile device. Yeah, no, we're not using it yet, Stuart. So here's a question for you. Do you see a service like that, if you're using it or not, a value where you can off, you know, offload some of those um, things that come back to bite us in the in the rear end sometimes when you know we're 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 all comfortable in our bed and two o'clock in the morning the exchange server goes down and we have that unexpected emergency that pops up that really just you know this an after hours issue but really can screw up our day uh, going forward. Maybe, Jeff, I'll get you to answer that question first, and maybe we can flip it over to Mike. Well, the way we've done it is, 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 is we, we are a Zenith partner, and, and we're not, but we're not using their, their support services, if you will. Um, you know, we, we have someone on call, and we expect our engineers to rotate um, on a schedule so that one person doesn't just get hammered with it consistently. Um, 
and, and we we have basically made the decision because of some limitations within within the granular settings within some of the after hours contact methods within within the uh, the system that's being used. Um, we've made some decisions about how we block out when we're when we're providing coverage um, and and to what severity are we going to respond to? Because as you guys know. I mean, there, there's things that are not right almost in every environment, sometimes every night. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're critical, but yet we're getting alerts on it and we're getting hammered with it. So I don't think we have the best answer. I, I think as we build our own help desk, I think that that will certainly move us rapidly towards solving that issue and, and, and making it much better. However, right now we're we're relying strictly on the the a person being on physically on call, not not at the office, but on call, and, and that's part of their job description and part of a you know once every six or eight weeks expectation that we have for those folks. And I just been I just been corrected by our, our good friend Dave Sobel, who's uh, listening to us online, that uh, Zenith now has their help desk in Pittsburgh, so it's no longer uh, offshore, so it's. North American base. So thanks, Dave, for sharing that. Mike, do you have anything you would like to add to that? What you well, talking about there? I mean, that I understood the question to be, uh, do I see using that service in the future? And it's interesting. I just sat through at the Economic Club in Grand Rapids. Ed Barlow, a futurist, rode through a presentation. Uh, you know, about the world is flat. Who moves my cheese? The whole thing about how technology is changing in the world. He gave a percentage, something like uh, within five years, 10% of all uh, x-rays read will be done digitally from a remote location somewhere else in the world. Um, you know, t technology, healthcare, et cetera, is changing so fast um, that yes, I think, I look at this from an economic standpoint. Uh, the fact that there are amazingly brilliant skills available that can deliver this service is almost becoming an economic imperative in, in our market. So uh, that's my perspective is that I see utilizing um, remote skills and technologies more and more. Stuart, I'd like, I'd like, to, I'd like to add to that. Sure. You know, one of one of the challenges for you know a company like ours is we're in a much smaller market, and just from from my involvement in, in HTG peer groups and then going to, to things like SMB Nation and, and, and ConnectWise and, and and talking with other partners across the country, um, it, it seems that the the culture or the the uh, comfort level of clientele. With, with things like uh, remote support and and subcontracted labor and and, and maybe um, a third party help desk providing uh, support and services uh, after hours, it seems that that there is uh, there's a lot more resistance. The smaller the market, the more traditional the market. I don't know if that's the right word, but, but folks that I've talked to that are that are uh, that are VARs, that are the integration providers or IT providers in larger markets that are more metro. It seems like it's just kind of it's more widely accepted. So I would be interested to know out there, you know, if 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 others see that that are in smaller markets, 
uh, I'll be interested in that because we do get we do get uh, we do get resistance when we start talking about things like that, and, and just some uh, a larger percentage of our customers just are not comfortable with that. With the whole with the whole outsourcing uh, approach, there, Jeff. That's true. That that that's true. But you know, and, and even though the the I completely agree with what was just said in terms of the talent that's out there, the ability. Uh, in a lot of cases, it's it's so cost effective to go that route. However. Customers, the boss, and, and and it's a matter. There is an education segment there that you, you've got to educate your client. You've got to make sure they understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish and why, and, and why it's safe or why it's effective or why it's economical. But at the same time, you know you've got to maintain a high level of customer service, and more importantly than customer service is their perception of your service, whether regardless of what you think it is, it's their perception of it. Well, that's an important question, uh, Jeff. Is, is this something that you would tell your clients that you're outsourcing it to Mumbai or Pittsburgh or Omaha, Nebraska, wherever these outsourced help desks are? Well, what you know, you we – Or, sorry, Jeff, what do you think? Is that something that uh, you would tell your customers or we just include that as part of your service? Well, it, it, it's something that I, I think – it just depends on the customer. I think that, uh, you know, certainly if, if you're asked, I mean, you, you should always tell the truth and exactly how you're doing it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, sometimes <laughs> if folks are overly sensitive to that, then, then it can kind of be kind of be overblown and, and, and perhaps affect affect the deal that you're working on to the relationship. But I certainly think if a client, a client needs to know how you're delivering your services. Um and again, I think there's a huge education factor there. It's not just who, but it's how and why, and why it makes better sense for the customer and for their business. Not just, well, because we don't have those services to provide internally. That's that's. I mean, that's. I, I'm kind of stuck in the middle, like you are, because you know, in our market here in uh, in southern Alberta, it's equivalent to what maybe what you know, Texas would be. You know, when you look at you know, cowboy country, oil, all that good, you know, all that good stuff. And uh, I think there's a little bit of reluctance to a company that outsource that thing, say, like would be maybe in eastern Canada where it's more, I think it's more accepted business model there. But, yeah, let's face it, I think Mike talked about it, the world is definitely flat. And, uh, you know, those those resources are going to be there. They're going to they're gonna come into our market anyway. So, I don't know, Mike, maybe you can share uh, – shed some light on this, is it better to partner with these folks instead of competing? Because I think they will eventually come into our market and start competing with us. I think, yeah, I think the, you know, the way I extend my value proposition is I just made a sales call two days ago with the VMware rep for the state of Michigan. Um, I, I don't mind riding in with specialists from other organizations. So I'm very comfortable extending my value proposition uh, by utilizing uh, other organizations. I'm also very forthright with my customers about the fact that, you know, we've got 25 employees and associates here, but I don't have all the answers and all the smart people in my company. When uh, when I run into something that we don't have expertise in, I will reach outside. And so, uh, for me to say to my customers, we utilize a variety of partners and skills to deliver. Uh, the best solution to you. I'm not going to have an amateur in my company take a run at something. 
I'm going to utilize the best possible. I think it's interesting that you know we tell our customers that um, we uh, when we put PTFs on your desktops and servers, we white and blacklist them. You know the Microsoft updates, and so it's part of what our team does. We go through them and make sure they'll work for Adobe, QuickBooks, etc. Then well, there's a list of 30 to 50 applications we check them for. Now, is that a white lie? I mean, the fact is, our team isn't sitting back there doing that work, but I do have a team somewhere in the world, I think it's in India, that is doing that work. So um, I'm comfortable utilizing this, this team that's not only U.S.-based, but worldwide-based, and I think it adds value to the customers. So, I mean, it, it, it definitely does. And from an after-hours uh, thing, I think, Mike, in the model you have, they're still taking care of those uh, uh, tickets that come up in the middle of the night. There's, you're just not having your customers call into the Zenith help desk. Is that correct? True. No, they're not. And we, so you know, what we did is we contracted with a local uh, provider here that uh, handles 7 by 24 calls for us, and then we've got a cascading call list that they track through for us. And I just got I just got an email from uh, one of the, another small market here in Canada, uh, Brad at, in Brayland Technology. Some of you may know him. And he, Brad points out uh, to, to kind of to Jeff's comment that uh, you know him and he's in North Battleford, Saskatchewan, which is a very small market, big, big territory, small market. And um, but he finds that a lot of his A-list clients are very comfortable uh, with the. The off the outsourcing of uh, their help desk, uh, and uh, you know, I would see Jeff maybe you know with Brad saying here maybe the, the maybe the C's and D clients are ones that have that struggle with this. Uh, you know, what in your experience from your A your A clients are they generally more receptive or are they or is it just across the whole market in general and in Tyler there? I would agree with that. I believe you said the name of the, the emailer was Brad. I would agree with Brad's statement. Um, and kind of going back to what, what, what Mike just said, it really is about sitting down with a customer and having having some business discussion about, you know, they know what makes sense in their business. They know what makes the cash flow. They know what makes economic sense within their business for it to be, for it to hit the benchmarks that they set for success. And, and you're really not having any, you're having a conversation that's exactly the same. It's just technology-based. And one of the things that we do to try to get over that is, is when we have quarterly business reviews with our A and B list clients, it, we sit down and we talk about some of the capabilities that we're – some of the things that we're capable of through partnerships just like mine. Um, again, I think there's there's a level of, of deep dive and description, if you will, that – you don't necessarily have to get into um, to to achieve what you're wanting to achieve, but you you know you certainly would want to do that if if, if someone wants to know the nuts and the bolts of it. Um, but but I would generally agree with that. I, I think the the larger the customer, the bigger the the commitment is that the customers made to to you and you to them. Uh, there's just the trust factor there. I, I think some of that fear goes away because of the 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 nature of the relationship. And that client is 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 often much more open to, well, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily have such a problem with, with uh, you know, full server images being stored at other locations outside of this market, 
uh, for my off-site backup. I, I'm okay with that, and, and I'm okay with the encryption levels that are used, and, and I'm satisfied with that because I've got a five, seven, ten-year history with your company, and you've always taken care of me. Yeah, I think it all comes down to relationship at the end. But back on track with our after-hours uh, discussion, Mike, you, did we address your, your story with your customer yet? Yeah, I, I, you know, it was basically the 10-year history of, um, you know, trauma over calling the cell phone and the cell phone, the individual not being available via cell phone, and we did not have a service level agreement, and and we changed that communication and expectation with the customer and cleaned that up. So here's a question for you guys. You know, it's all kind of relatively tied into after hours. What I found uh, out, and we, you know, we still do this practice today, is giving our clients our direct, direct numbers to our service engineers. Uh, maybe I can canvas you guys for some input here on your best practices. Mike, are you giving your number, your cell phone numbers out still, or do you stop that practice and have everybody call into a separate, uh, you know, to a central help desk, or what are you guys doing there in in Grand Rapids today? Yeah, we're still transitioning to the dispatch and managed services model. We've got a customer support center manned from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. But clearly, internally, we've decided, no, we are not going to tell our customers, no, you can't call your favorite tech that you love and trust. And But we have required our techs to put in their voicemail, uh, you can leave me a message. Uh, I may not get to it. I forget exactly what the standard message is. But if you want immediate assistance, please call our customer support center and someone will get with you, you know, immediately. So uh, that is on all the text voicemail. Yeah, we, we've done the same thing for us too. Is, uh, although we're in, we're in that kind of transitioning, you know, the A and B clients can still have direct access to our service people. The C's and we're not going to have any D's, but the C clients are, you know, and they're not necessarily bad clients, but they're just smaller ones that maybe don't have the need for, you know, a managed services plan or a, a block commitment of some sort. We're going to have, try to filter those people through uh, a central help desk. Jeff, what about you guys? Are you guys giving out direct numbers, or what's what's the way what's the way you guys are doing it down uh, down in Texas there? Well, uh, you know, we've we've tried it several different ways actually, and and, and our model is similar uh, to Mike's, except we we have in in as, as professional and polite a way as we can, keeping in mind that customers keen. Um, we we have made it known that that it's not a good workflow for our company and therefore for response time for a client to call a technician directly. Um, we find that that just creates chaos for internal communication, uh, communication with the client as to where things stand. Uh, and, it, and, and, and the biggest thing is it causes just massive chaos for, for the actual engineer because that person's out in the field. In, in our, again, we've been blessed with a lot of business. That, that person's busy from sunup to sundown, and... We have really tried to force all calls uh, to flow through central dispatch, and that's been our model for almost from day one. Um, we were very lax with the cell phone contacts early in the going, but as you know, as, as you guys know, as you grow and as you add more people, and as you you're forced to refine processes and refine the way you do things because you just it's just like keeping your infrastructure up as you grow. It's just one of those things you have to do. Um, 
one of the tactics that, that we're really getting serious about, and I've always been, I've always lived by by the the, the motto that, you know, things can get complicated, but if you always fall back on excellent customer service, and, and you start there. And I know that's a word that we all throw around, the world throws around way too loosely, but, but when you get to the nuts and bolts of customer service, if, if you just make sure that your customer feels like you're always great in that area, everything else kind of takes care of itself in terms of new business and cash flows and, and all the things that come with, with business stress. But right. and, and for, that reason, for, for that reason, I've always been opposed to automated attendance. And I got to tell you, now that we, we're, we're, we're kind of hitting new heights in terms of business load, workload, and, and trying to find the right people to add and increase staff and the struggles that you go through in just terms of workforce, we, we've really, I'm really starting to take a hard look at that. And, you know, we've got an IP phone system in-house that has some, a lot of capabilities that, that, that we're not even using yet. And, I'm starting to really, we're taking a hard, my managers and I are taking a hard look at, you know, do we need to change over to, you know, a model where all calls don't flow directly to dispatch, but, but we go through auto attendant as an attempt to filter out and direct traffic in an automated way, ask to not pound a help desk with just calls that don't need to go there. Now, with that said, I'm sorry to be long-winded about this, but with that said, I think it's very important if, if, if a company has been doing it the way we're doing it for a long time, and that's what your customers are used to, I think it's very important to involve, especially your A and B customers, in this transition process and seek out their feedback on, hey, here's, here, here's our business pain. Here's what we're experiencing, and, and it's a good pain. I'd rather have that than not have enough work. And here's some ideas that we're having about how to get around those pains, but we're overly concerned about how that affects you and what works for you. So we want to involve you in the little things like if we make a move to auto attendant, what would, how would you like that to work? What would be your expectations? Uh, what do you want to hear? Um, it, it sounds almost trivial, but at the same time, I think it's, uh, boy, that really says something to the customer when you explain your pains just like they explain their pains to you and expect you to solve them, when you go back to your customers and say, hey, if we're really partners, here's a change we're thinking about making. What do you think? How does that affect you? What would you like to see? What do you not want to see? So I, I, I think that in today's times, you've got to think out of the box. If, you, if you're a growing managed services provider, growing bar, um, I, I really think you have to think out of the box about those things and most importantly include your customer. I totally agree, Jeff, with you. I mean, just as much in, in- Involving your team members, I look at our clients and customers as part of our team, and you know, get that feedback back from them. And on the to kind of address the auto attendant, we have an auto attendant here that filters traffic going around, and we we've hit a max in our phone system, so we're bringing in a new phone system that can have some queuing capabilities for those folks that want to sit on a queue. But one of the things we've done recently, and maybe I'll ask this question to both of you, we recently. Had hired a after-hours call center to help filter out the after-hours calls and then dispatch their, to our service engineers so we can have a record of who's calling in. Have you guys looked at anything like that? Maybe Mike, go over to you first. Have you thought about outsourcing a call center for your after-hours call that could just at least filter those calls and uh, set the expectation to the client? Yes, we did, and uh, because 
sales guy here, one on the street with our managed services, our service level uh, agreements, and you know we put out the gold, you know all you can eat concept, and then platinum is seven by twenty four, and we actually had some customers sign up for platinum. So then I had to scramble forward and figure out how we're going to do that. Certainly, we looked at the Zenith call center and considered that. Um, but we did found a local company here that has 7x24 call service. We pay a monthly fee plus a per call fee of some sort. doesn't get hit that often. And then they have the cascading cell phones and can track down individuals who are on call or available. And what are you guys doing, Jeff, in, uh, with Wood Networks? Well, in, in, in terms of, of after hours and, and have, uh, when like clients need call center, have, you, have you thought about hiring a call center just to, you know, filter your calls and then track down your service engineers, or do you call, or do you go through a we, system we, and then just call the engineers? We've thought through it, um, and, and I think we see a growing need in the future. I don't think we have a tremendous need right now for that. Um, we don't get a tremendous amount of call volume after hours. Uh, in terms of a client actually calling in, and I, I think we're I think we need to talk about this from two different angles. I think there's the angle of, as an MSP, the 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 monitoring alerts and the dings that you get, being able to filter out those by severity, and 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 drawing technician attention to that if need be during during the time, you know after five but before six a.m. But then I think there's the other side of it, which is the more important side for me, and that's if a customer feels like they have an issue after hours and they call in. Um, and, and I think that's where you're getting to with a call center concept. We, we've essentially utilized some of the advanced features of our phone system to basically, uh, after hours, you do get a phone tree, and, and you are given the opportunity to leave an emergency message, and, and, and that message is queued in priority, and it goes out uh, to the person on call, uh, but then, you know, we actually we have some cascading uh, to some other folks, including management. If it gets to a certain point that it shouldn't get to, in all honesty, then I get involved. But um, that's how we're handling it now. Uh, as we grow larger and larger and as we get those actual phone calls from clients coming in after hours, I could certainly see uh, where a company would want to consider that. That's a whole other issue for us uh, in terms of how we work that in the workflow and, and communications. And what about what about rates, guys? I mean, uh, one lot, maybe the last topic here to discuss would be rates. What's the standard practice that you guys are doing, uh, Jeff, uh, with regards to after-hours rates? Uh, how do you structure that? We really stress after-hours support, kind of going back to some things that were talked about earlier about SLAs uh, that, that are within the contracts. Um, uh, our higher-end contracts, that's where we really get into the conversation about here's, here's, the, here's our SLA in terms of, of um, after-hours support. If a customer's not on an agreement, they're certainly welcome to, to call in with an after-hours emergency. Uh, we don't guarantee to that customer that we'll get to them right away. Uh, or, or even that night. In most cases, we do, but uh, we don't guarantee that. In terms of rates, um, with, with the, within our agreement customers, and, and, and probably like others, we have a myriad of agreements that are different levels, but within those agreements, we, we set that expectation there in terms of price. Um, for our largest end, what we call a platinum customer, we don't, 
they don't incur any additional fees for that support after hours. It's just something that we feel, and since they've made that commitment to us, we feel we need to give that commitment to them. However, the lower you move down, you move down the scale, then, then we we do some you know time and a half or or two x billing per hour based upon the time of, the time of day that we're dealing with the issue. Okay, and and Mike from uh, in your guys' company, what are you guys doing uh, for your after hours rates? Yeah, our standard agreement is one and a half times standard rate for um, evenings, and it is 2x for weekend and holidays. But what we do do, you know, we do a lot of IBM mid-range server upgrades and scheduled weekend events. And so certainly we will, you know, quote those at a very standard rate and, you know, give our techs comp time. So you know they're used to that situation in our environment having to do um, system upgrades when the business is not you know functional from Monday to Friday and you know we'll be reasonable with those rates when it's planned out and uh, we can provide comp time to our techs. So Mike do you, do you have a, a strategy where if your techs arrange like say a server upgrade does it built, that could be built into the project or, or just re, like regular rates. Uh, what we do is like if it's I call my after hours stuff client dictated. So if they actually say I need you guys out here after hours, then our rates of one x or two x or one point five x or two x kicks in. But if our engineers are saying I need to do this after hours, we'll either build it at our senior rate or build it into our project plan. Is that what you're doing? Something similar to that? Absolutely. Yep. And Jeff, yeah, you're you going to jump in there with a comment. I was just going to say I, on on Mike's comment about um, you know I, I've seen I've seen other other uh, Microsoft partners other integrators that that have a pretty hard line about hey if we're working after five or we're working on the weekend regardless if it's planned or not um, you know we're we're going to do a a two x number and and I don't and I agree with Mike I think that I think that. You've got to show the customer value if you're planning something out like that. If, if, if it is a, a server migration or um, a software rollout that has to be done after hours, I think if that's planned out far enough ahead and, and you can schedule your resources effectively to where you can arrange for comp time or arrange for you know a day off beforehand for, for maybe your hourly employees, I think that that's a much better approach. I think customers just it, it says it speaks volume to your commitment to them when you're willing to do something like that. And, 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 and we, when we quote a project, we, we we're quoting an estimated hours in a lot of cases, and sometimes flat fee. But we're centering that around rates that are are comparable to our eight to five rates because it's planned out. And I, I think that's, I think that's standard, Jeff, out there that a lot of people kind of do the same type of thing. I mean, there's lots of you know, there's lots of different ways of skin the cat here, and, and I'm hoping over the last 50 minutes or so, we've given. Uh, some of the IT professionals that tune into this program on a regular basis and maybe struggling with after hours, some direction in what they could do. I'm not saying my ways, right? I'm sure Jeff and Mike would relate to their ways or, you know, what they've struggled and they've tried different things. I think it continues to evolve uh, how we deliver after hour service, make sure our, our key people and all our staff are, you know, have that life work balance and that they can continue to function, have happy happy family lives because hey, nothing more impacts our business when we have engineers that 
have to leave our company because their families are not happy with them working here because they're working too much. Guys, maybe just one last pass through before we wrap up today. Uh, any insight, anything you would like to add? Uh, Jeff, maybe over to you first. I know you and I kind of share some a lot of the same views when it comes to you know, our family time and, and different things in our life. What what things what what can you share with the the listeners out there today that you know if you had to take one thing away today what would that be? I think the number one thing to remember is is in order to maintain that balance, you've got to be honest with yourself and you have to recognize that hey I own a business or I'm a manager in in, in an IT business and the demands are high and of course we want to be successful, of course we want to hit certain EBITDA numbers and but at the same time. You've got to be careful how you set your priorities. If, if you don't set your priorities, I heard, I heard it once said best in, in a talk that a, a, a good friend in ministry gave one time. He said, you know, if you don't set your priorities, the world will set them for you. And and, and I'm not always the best in the world about that. My, my Some of my coworkers and certainly my, my family can tell you that. But that really, if you really think about that, that means you have to get intentional about how you spend your time and you have to get the most out of your time uh, and, and expect your people to do that. And, and, and that means getting efficient. That means looking into some of the things like we've just talked about. Uh, but at the same time, it's also understanding that it's not possible to make all people happy all the time because when you try to do that, the old saying is the only person that, that uh, isn't happy is you. And uh, you really have to remember that and, and, and make that fit in your business and, and make that fit at home because if you don't, um, very, very bad things are going to happen, not just to your personal life, but also your business life. Yes, I totally, totally uh, understand where that's coming from. I had a friend of mine in business here who uh, his business has basically shut down because of something similar to that. Mike, uh, any last-minute comments from from the uh, the Rust Belt there? I love that Rust Belt thing. That's really got, I'm really hooked on it now. You bet. Use of that will. Yeah, you know, I, I am an empty nester addict. I love this stuff. And, uh, you know, probably the I, – I, I've got a PDA, you know, that hauls all the email and so on around, and, and I, I'm just addicted to this stuff. And, and I love it. So I don't find it stressful for me. And we are a performance – number one, we're a performance-oriented organization, and we set the uh, expectations and goals – for our tax and our salespeople and and uh, staff in the company, and so if you want to hit your performance uh, numbers and and basically you know work your uh, 38 to 42 hours, go ahead. Uh, and but if you want to go out and and, and jazz it up and and uh, earn more money and work harder, go ahead. So I'm trying to be flexible in that regard. Uh, we are a performance-oriented uh, company, and depending on where an individual is. Let them go. And secondly, though, I think the challenge of business is moving from people to process. I think we've got brilliant techs and people in our organization. What we've been talking about for 50 minutes here is, you know, after hours, emergency support, 1X, 2X, holidays, weekends, et cetera. And, uh, you know, the phone systems, the call centers. And, and the challenge is, and we sure haven't figured it out here, it's continuous improvement. But for me, it's moving from brilliant people to improved processes. 
And that for me is the business challenge, and, and I would hope that we can all embrace and learn from each other through these calls on how to improve. Well, you know, you've uh, left the important thing right to the end. Uh, I know my good friend Eric Thorsell would agree 100% that successful businesses are built on uh, good processes and excellent structure. For that, gentlemen, I want to thank you uh, for your time today coming and joining us here on Small Business IT Radio here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're here on here almost every Friday at 9 a.m. on the West Coast, noon on the East Coast, here on blogtalkradio.com slash SMB is our website, or www.SMB, sorry, smallbusinessitradio.com. You can email me at info at smallbusinessitradio.com if you have any questions, and I can make sure I can forward it over to Mike or Jeff. Just a quick uh, overview of our upcoming schedule. You want to you want to be on our call next week. We have Jan Spring uh, from eFolder and Laura Stewart from Guardian Angel Computer Guardian Angel Computer Services joining us. We're going to talk about offline backup and disaster recovery, and uh, primarily around the e, uh, eFolder solution. So that'll be next week. We got some great uh, stuff lined up with Microsoft coming to talk about software plus services. And I'm uh, just looking at the, the agenda real quick here. Uh, we got coming up, uh, we got Carl Palachuk, we have Amy Babichuk, and a few others joining us in, the, in two weeks' time uh, talking about being professional SMB IT consultants and what we need to do, especially now that the market is so volatile, on how to be uh, really professional so we can maintain revenue, uh, have, keep that work life balance, and so more, sorry, life work balance. I don't call it work life balance anymore all these important things in our life while being professional. So that's in two weeks' time. Again, we're at smallbusinessitradio.com. I'd like to thank Mike and Jeff for joining us today and for the last uh, 55 minutes or so talking about after hours. And I think Mike really nailed it on the head at the end there. You have to have the right systems in place. You have the right processes in place in order to make this happen so you're less dependable on your people and really propelling your business forward. So with that, this is Stuart Crawford. Signing off today for Small Business IT Radio. Thank you to our guests, and we will see you all next week.